Hello and welcome back to Fireside. Today is our blog post omnibus episode and this is the first blog post omnibus of this year because last month in January I only wrote one blog post so (laughs) I didn't think that was worth a whole episode to itself. So if you don't already know this is an episode I generally do every month where I read everything that I posted on my blog that month so that you can listen to it instead of having to read it in case that's easier. So I'm going to start off with January's post which is called Behind the New Cape Ferris Brand. Changing my business name was never just changing the name. It was changing my approach, my structure, how I went about what I did, It was also a hard reset on what I actually did. It was opening up and lifting self-imposed boundaries and being freer. This meant that more than just pressing a button to change a name and the many, many admin consequences of that, I had a few things to figure out. Figuring out what this brand is about. Before, I'd always agonised over what and wasn't simple in season, what was on brand and what had to live elsewhere, what I could and couldn't talk about. I was marketing and then I was never talking about marketing again and then I talked about marketing sometimes but very cautiously. The point of moving to Cape Ferris was to open this up, remove the pressure, allow all the things that interest me creatively to have a home here. But I also knew that one of the reasons I'd been wandering in the business desert for the last few years was the lack of a distinct why, a rallying purpose to give everything some momentum. With everything now being a possibility on the table, I knew I'd need that focused why more than ever to keep things, well, focused. I turned to my own purpose kit, a product I made nearly six years ago to gain some clarity. I knew that what I've always been interested in is the grey. In a world that so desperately wants black and white, I've always been drawn to the shades in between, to the very nature of knowing, of certainty, of desires. For so long I wanted that black and white clarity, but all I learned was that it didn't bring me what I thought I wanted. I've also been interested in the way we work in the way we approach things, in the ways we get our own, in our own way, in habits and practices, how some people do things and others do not, in motivation and focus. I've also been interested in how these two things meet, how we find out what we want and work towards it in a screaming, shouting, capitalist world. Working through the prompts in the kit, I surprised myself. I found myself writing that the pursuit of certainty was the problem, not the solution. That seeking absolute knowing closes us off to our creativity, to possibility, and has us working in an iron grip. I found myself writing that instead of certainty, we should become comfortable with the not knowing and pursuing curiosity instead. I found myself writing... The impact I want to have is that no one thinks they're wrong or failing, but pursues what lights them up with openness. 
and it was true. Figuring out what this brand looks like. I looked through logo templates on Canva. I spent a few fun hours with color online color palette tools, making combinations and naming the colors and putting them all into a neat PDF with their hex codes. I compared fonts and found the matching pair of serif and sans serif I liked best. And then all that was left was to apply it to the website. And after a short amount of trying to figure things out and fiddling with the palette function on Squarespace, I took a step back and it was all the same. I changed the colours and the copy, but it was the same website in new clothes. I wrote in my newsletter in January about this about how hard it is to make a change when you have the strong muscle memory of what you've always done. When you are editing a website you are used to seeing a certain way, it's hard to imagine how else it could look. And the same goes for work, relationships, homes, hobbies, entire lives. To make change is less about making plans and more about breaking habits. Habits of doing, habits of thinking. In order to break out of my website funk, I had to look outside of myself. I searched for Squarespace template inspiration and scrolled through other people's websites, seeing what else could be possible. I replicated the bits and pieces I liked from each one to make a version one of the Kate Ferris website that felt like the fresher parts of me. Figuring out what's next. The most important thing was accepting that this is a version one in all the ways. It's a version one in that it wipes the slate visually, gives me a future jumping off point. But it's also a version one in that I'm not 100% sure what's next. This is a brand and a why I'm going to grow into. What feels freeing is that I am consciously not seeking certainty in this. I am not looking for a straitjacket structure of a business model. Although I'm not immune to seeing what other people do and thinking, that looks nice, I am reminding myself to add, but not for me, to that thought. Instead, I am looking out of open and willing eyes, curious at what might be possible. What that means in practice is catching the self-talk that tells me what is and isn't possible for me. It means paying attention to what is interesting me, prioritising what is creatively fulfilling. For example, I enjoyed running Finish With Confidence so much last year that I'm eager to run it again, rather than building out some kind of staircase funnel of products. I'm just going to run it again. As my dear friend Jen Carrington wrote in her email in January, joy is fuel. By remaining curious about all the possible things that could create that fuel and committed to showing up to my best practices, I will build what's next for this creative life. Okay, so then we'll fast forward in time. to the first post I published in February, which was like 
about the second week of February and it's called I'm Not My Online Persona. I think I'm more funny in real life, more vibrant, bigger somehow, not afraid to be the butt of the joke, prone to tears when I see something beautiful or endearing. On our walks back from town, my boyfriend has to stand like he's waiting for a toddler as I coo over sunsets in puzzles, in puddles and textures on a brick wall. It feels like there's a disjoint between this actual me and the me I am online. It's not to say that the me online isn't my own words or, or a real version of me, but it's a side of me that is ramped up out of proportion to how much it exists in my whole being. Online I feel more aloof, serious, sensitive. Like whenever I speak I have to say something. I feel weighty, I feel enigmatic, I feel distant. This is in part due to the nature of the work I produce online and my writing style. I'm interested in exploring these deep and weighty topics, in exploring feelings and motivations and trying to reach for understandings of the ununderstandable. Perhaps this side of me feels louder online because this is where it mostly exists. But it's also because I think this is how I have to be here. Not in a pernicious, conscious way, but in the way of an unquestioned belief that served you until it didn't. I started out online just after personal blogging really boomed and where anecdotes about people's lives had been replaced by being of value. I internalised that as sharing seriously, professionally, by not leaving open ends and maybes, by harnessing a vibe that was whimsical but also providing a lesson. Even as my work shifted and my life changed, this knowing that this is how I was supposed to show up remained a constant. After changing everything and rebranding and moving into a new season of work, I realised this belief remained. On a muddy walk over the weekend, it took me a few moments to remember what my word of the year was. This is so often the way, after the new year is no longer new, when the life you always had continues to overrun the life you thought you'd design. Ah yes, it was unleash. And have I been unleashing? I ask myself. I haven't. Not in the way I intended, but having had serious family illness in January, I'm not beating myself up about it. There is still time. What interests me, though, is that now something else makes sense about why I chose the word unleash. It hadn't been a specific intention, because I hadn't quite noticed the belief. But I now know that when I decided I wanted to unleash, it was to break out of this online persona I've accidentally forced myself into. To be a bit less serious, a bit less valuable, if that doesn't sound strange to say, to bring more of the lighter sides of myself, to post pictures of my day and my food and sunsets and puddles and textures of brick walls. I am a save for best person. I get it from my dad who has never worn jumpers in his wardrobe that he is saving for best. 
I have the unlike unlit candles, of course, and the face marks, masks in packets. And I also have a camera roll bursting with pictures of things I loved and wanted to share but never did. I was saving them for when I had something really good to say, and then I couldn't think of anything so they languished there, moving further and further away, up the roll. Which is ironic, because I find the content I like the best right now is the little windows into people's lives, the Sunday coffee and newspaper, the bunch of flowers on the kitchen side the carousels of a month in cafes and country walks. I don't need a valuable lesson in the caption. It's just nice to see people sharing what they love, feeling their big and small joys. So that's what I always meant by Unleash. It was the big things like going for it with the writing and being less apologetic in making an income, but it was also this smaller, but arguably bigger, thing of showing up of being less of this persona I've backed myself into, of turning down the contrast so that the other sides of me can come into view too, of unleashing myself and believing that that is good enough. Okay, so that brings us on to... Oh, my stomach started rumbling. I hope you couldn't hear that, but if you do... I apologise. Um, so this brings us on to the final post from February, which went out a little earlier this week. And it's called, I am not here to lead. I was scrolling mindlessly on Substack. Why do they have that feed function when you want to read stuff there, but it ends up being another place you're scrolling? And I noticed everyone joining in a challenge of someone who had recently and a little behind the curve joined the platform. Their original post launching the challenge was full of the words about getting to know each other and about community, but also about sharing really far and wide, which is code for I need this to grow. It was authoritative, strategic thought leadership, and I thought... Thank God I don't have to do that. I'm not criticising this person or any person who wants to grow on a platform, who wants to lead in a particular space. I just, as I saw all these posts popping up, felt so relieved that this person was doing all of this. So I didn't have to. And that was when I realised that I don't want to lead. In the late 2010s, the online business world spoke in terms of empire. You had to own your space, take leadership of the conversation, demonstrate your expertise. You had to walk into an online party and start banging pans together and say, hey, hey, look at me and listen to what I have to say. You could do it sweetly, a bit less obviously, but you had to do it. You could do it with hashtag challenges, with spamming people with posts and comments, with content churn, with making it absolutely vital that people needed to learn the thing you taught. But it was fine. It wasn't icky because it was valuable. And yes, there was some value, but I find now, looking back, that it felt like a lot of barging and jostling to be on top. I felt it keenly, this need to be leading, 
this need to be a go-to person. I know I have agonised with friends over how I could be the go-to person. I remember the stabs of jealousy and lack whenever I heard anyone talking about anything remotely similar to what I talked about. You know when you're on a train in a station and when the train next to yours stop moving it feels like your own train is sliding backwards, like a brake has been let off and you are freewheeling back the way you came. This desire to lead felt like that. The pit of the stomach nausea and dizziness of sliding, but with no reprieve of the end of the neighbouring train shaking you out of it. It was disorientating, worrying about whether you were respected enough and whether someone else, somewhere, was making better points. But I wanted it because... How to finish that sentence? Because ambition because it was what was needed for success, because other people were going to try and have it so I had to try and have it, because that was the only way to make money, because I never questioned it, because I never thought of what else might be possible. I hadn't noticed how much that desire to lead a space had ebbed away until I saw that person with their substack challenge and I waited for the rollercoaster stomach drop of, oh quick, I need to do something too, but instead got, thank God I don't need to do that. Need. That's the interesting word. It wasn't even, I don't want to do that, because I could not want to, but still feel like I needed to. I didn't need to do it because I didn't need to lead, because my work has moved on from thought leader, business, marketing, coach person, to artist. I don't need to do the challenge because what I need to do is right. That's my work and the rest will come from that. I'm not here to lead. What a relief. So that is it for today. That's all just knock the equipment that is um all of the posts from the last couple of months i hope you enjoyed listening to them i also hope if you've got a friend who is maybe in the midst of anything that was kind of mentioned in this episode that you might share the link with them and i'll see you again next week have a great week (laughs) that's not too repetitive (laughs) 